So, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> I firstly apologize for my voice. I hope that I will be able to get to the end of this uh, talk. <clears throat> it's starting to go, but uh, it's a little bit gravelly, a little bit Barry White, but that's okay. You're okay with that? So, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about whether you're good enough, whether we're good enough. Are you good enough? Uh, I've got a few scriptures here that Stephanie's going to try and keep up with me, but uh, I'm going to be talking from Acts 15, where that question came up really. The people were <clears throat> disputing whether the people were good enough, disputing whether some of these believers were good enough. And this is the question I'm giving to you as well. Are you good enough? So let's read that passage in Acts 15, well, actually, I'm just going to, I'm not going to read the whole thing because I want to get through a lot. So I'm just going to pluck out a few verses. So stay with me. It, Acts 15 is all about the council at Jerusalem. So basically, the apostles, the elders, and some believers all gathered together and we're having a big Barney. I said that because I just thought of that this morning because it was actually Barnabas was there. And so I just thought that was a little, a little bit of it. So they were having a bit of a, a Barney. Because Paul and Barnabas, they, it says in one verse, they came in sharp dispute with some of the others. So what were they in sharp dispute about? Verse 1, it says this, Acts 15.1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Wow. This, port, this brought uh, Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute with them. And then verse 5. Then some of the believers who belong, belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. <clears throat> now, so this was the big debate. And uh, all the apostles, the elders, they all gathered together. They had a big debate and discussion and what the verdict should be. And then Peter emphatically responds in this way in Acts 15, 11. <clears throat> Does anyone know Dave Devonish? I feel like Dave Devonish. <clears throat> anyway. So Acts 15, verse 11, he says this, Peter. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So, um, overarching this whole subject is the word grace. And this morning, uh, I hope to paint a picture for you <clears throat> that will kind of help you behave and be a Christian in the way God intended. Now, I've got a bit of help from a, a few friends of mine. A guy called Terry Virgo who's written a book on grace, which was very helpful. Who, just for if you don't know, he, he, he kind of fathered the kind of group, family of churches that we're part of many years ago. And um, he says that grace is like a watercolor painting. And... Uh, you have to start with, but when he, well, he, apparently when he did paintings as a child, he used to start with doing 
the, the sky, and they'd cover the whole canvas in this watercolour with this blue sky. And, uh, but the thing is, he had to wait for it to dry before he added any other detail to the painting. So if he added trees or anything. Because if he started to do it when the, the paint was still wet, the colours would merge and it would all get a bit muddy and a bit murky and not as it intended. And this was his picture of what grace is like. We need to lay this colour of grace down first. And it needs to be firmly down. It needs to be dried and set in place before anything else. Before we do anything else, this is what we need to understand. The grace and love of God. I love that Janet prayed out earlier that our minds would be expanded to the greatness and the wonderful, abundant love of God. That is where it all stems from. Um, and another picture um, which I found helpful is um, there's this person dancing in a hall like this um, and they had headphones in. And so people on looking didn't know they were really listening to any music. But it was, it was, this was a sweet music that this woman was dancing to, twirling and pirouetting. It was beautiful. She was so caught up in the music. And then someone else was looking on and they thought, oh, I can do that. And they tried to copy the moves. And actually, a little secret, I used to do that. If you ever go to parties, I wasn't regular dancing. I'd always try and find the, who I thought was the best dancer in the room and just try and copy them. It's a good trick. But the only thing is you're slightly behind and off, off, off beat. Anyway, back to the picture. So the point is, this person was trying to copy this dance but they didn't hear the rhythm, the melody, the tune, the vibrancy of the music. And so it was a little bit jolty, a little bit out of time, a little bit awkward. And this is what it's like if we don't understand the grace and love, if we're not he hearing and feeling the heartbeat of love, of that tune of grace across all of our life, we will not enjoy this dance, this partnership with the Lord Jesus as he has intended. Okay. So. <clears throat> in order for us to really appreciate the fullness of God's grace and his gift to us through Jesus, we need to understand how bad we are actually. We need to grasp how sinful we are. Someone said we are more sinful than we ever realized, but more loved than we ever dreamed. So I want to help us have this picture of grace, firstly by telling you how bad you are. I want to... I want you to see how bleak the situation is, actually. I want you to see how critical our heart condition is. I want you to know how far we've fallen from the glory and the splendor and the holiness of God. And in fact, even our very best attempts, our most righteous, wonderful good works may even cause the Father to turn away in disdain and, and be repulsed. 
But the good news is, we're more loved than you ever dreamed. I want you to, as I've tried to convey already, to understand the outrageous, abundant, extravagant expression of love that Jesus has shown to each one of you through Jesus Christ. We sang it earlier. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Why is it so important that we understand how sinful we are? Well, as you know, we we don't go to a doctor unless you're ill. And we're not going to go to a saviour unless we realise our sick hearts in need of healing. So, back to our passage. The, The Jewish believers, they did not understand that performing more acts, obeying more laws, was not going to come anywhere close to meeting the standard that God has. All these acts of the flesh, the circumcision, the good works, they're just futile and powerless. The extent of our sin runs so deep. I mean, the, the amount of laws that Moses had, there was about over 600 laws that, from the um, Old Testament. None of these could even come close to sorting out our heart issue. It's, it's the equivalent of a, a Band-Aid sticking plaster on someone's chest who, has, who needs deep open heart surgery. So I ask again, are you good enough? A survey done of some churches, 7,000 churches, 7,000 churchgoers, 60% agreed with this statement. The way to to be accepted by God is to try sincerely to live a good life. Wow. 60% of people within church thought that was the way. And I'm sure you've come across people like that. I've spoken to many. um, As soon as they hear that I'm involved in the leadership in the church, they try to tell me all the good stuff they do. So people might say, just try your best. Treat others as you want to be treated. Be kind. Maybe do some charity work. Maybe volunteer at food bank. Just do all you can do. And then on top of that, maybe a helpful Christian will come along and say, yeah, on top of all those things, why don't you start praying and reading your Bible? Maybe going to church. Maybe putting some money in the offering. These things will all help, I'm sure. Now, these things will not have any effect on whether you are loved and accepted by God. I'm sad to say. But this is exactly what Paul and Barnabas were in sharp dispute with, with the Jewish believers. 
they were trying to add things on to their salvation. They completely missed the point. <clears throat> they were suggesting that the Gentiles had to add something. Anyone who teaches you this is giving you a false Christianity. It's, it's a religion which is restricting and confining and Jesus came to set us free. Christianity says God will accept you through what Christ has done. Religion says God will accept you because of what you do. I heard this recently in, in a discipleship course that we're running. And uh, it's something I've heard a long time ago. But it's so important that we remind ourselves it's not about what we do. It's what Christ has done on the cross. <clears throat> now, I guess like, like me, some of this is a little bit hard to, hard to swallow. And we think actually, surely some of my righteous acts must be doing something towards God and me being more acceptable to him. My volunteering at helping a charity shop, a food bank, living by a good moral code, being raised by a good family, I work hard, I attend church once a week, sometimes twice a week. Surely these things have got to be doing something. <clears throat> Surely uh, my discipline of following just a few rules has to count for something. Now, this is where we have to have a real stark reality check so we can see how sinful we really are. Now, Paul uh, speaks of this again. The subject comes up again later um, with the Philippian church. And later in Acts, we'll, when he was under house arrest, he wrote to the Philippian church just on this same subject. So Philippians 3, verses 4 to 8, says this. <clears throat> Excellent. If someone else thinks, so the Paul was saying, talking to himself when uh, he was talking to the Philippian church, which was getting really legalistic. He speaks of his own righteous acts and his works of the flesh. And he says this, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But then he says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. He considers them garbage, all his righteous acts. He realized that all his previous efforts to achieve salvation were useless. They surmounted to nothing. Now, many translations of the Bible have slightly sanitized 
this word rubbish. And uh, through a few learned Greek scholars, not me, they, they, they tell me that this word rubbish or garbage is actually translated uh, in a very different way. And this might give a little bit of meaning to the card that you brought in. It actually means dog waste. It means it's like toxic waste. His righteous acts were like dog waste. So um, I believe you've got some cards with um, uh, top plop trumps on. This, if you look at the picture, is what your righteous good works looks like. And I'm not just taking this from one verse. It's talked about in other ways. In Isaiah, it says this as well. Um, Let me find the verse. Um, It says basically that our our good works are like uh, filthy rags. So Paul's, uh, all his um, credentials, his great resume, he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was like, so from the early days, from birth, he was, he was uh, obeying the traditions and the law. Basically, circumcision was a sign for the Jews <clears throat> that they were one of God's people. So he was, he was good on that. Of the people of Israel, he was an Israelite, part of the people of God. Of the tribe of Benjamin, he came from good stock, good family stock. As a Hebrew of Hebrews, as an exemplary Hebrew. In regard to the law, following the law, a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were known for being very good at keeping the law to the letter, to every detail. He'd keep it to extreme proportions. It says in our verses that he was zealous. He persecuted the church. He was so zealous about the law that anyone who didn't keep the law, some of the early Christians, he'd put them to death. So my question is to you, where is your confidence? Is your confidence in your good works and your righteous deeds? Because if it was no good for Paul, I suggest that it's not good enough for you. Compared to the supreme beauty of the gospel, your righteous acts are like your top pop plop trump card. Now you've got to ask, why is this extreme language used? It's used so we listen and we don't just gloss over it, that we sit up and listen. Only when we realize how far we've fallen from the glory of God. As we grasp that verse, none is righteous, no, not one. Then we can be ready to embrace the righteousness of Jesus. Why don't you say to the person next to you that uh, all your righteous acts are like, and name the plop trump animal excrement.
Okay, well, why don't we actually have a quick game? We can't go by with not having a quick game. Okay, um, <clears throat> I have a lion poop, and I'm going to go for a length of 230. Can anyone beat that? What have you got? And what's your animal? Oh. Ah. Okay, frequency. I've got ten. Fourteen. Eric's got one hundred and eighty. Jasmine's got two hundred. Five hundred. <coughs> so what's your five hundred? Wow, I did not know that. Well, this is so educational, isn't it? Anyway, <clears throat> in that passage I just read, in Philippians 3.9, Paul goes on to say, this is where he needs to be found. Be found in him. Be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. If we go back to our Acts passage, to the question, must they be circumcised? It's final. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. We are saved through this gift. It's not earned by us. Someone once said that grace is like God's riches at Christ's expense. It's all at his expense as a free gift to us. <clears throat> Ephesians 2.8 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. A good way to discover whether you're falling into this trap and relying and putting your confidence in what you do is asking you this question. If, if when you mess up and you sin... Do you feel that your salvation is at risk? Do you feel any less of a Christian when you forget to pray or you don't read your Bible? I want to remind you again of this backdrop, this, this sky that we sit under, the grace of God, this tune that we dance to. We don't do things in order to gain acceptance. <clears throat> we do things because we are accepted. Acts 17.31 says this, 
because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. So he's going to judge the world in righteousness. So on that day when we kneel before him, the holy, perfect, glorious king, the wise judge, how are you going to plead your case? Are you going to hold up your plot trump? Have assurance this morning that if you put your faith in Jesus, that Jesus' righteousness is counted as yours. You are in Christ. You are clothed in his righteousness. You are free. We so often add things to the gospel. Someone said that Jesus plus nothing is the gospel. We can't add anything to it. A beautiful representation of this is a the criminal on the cross next to Christ, where he had nothing, he was naked, sinful, empty-handed, nothing to offer. And yet, Jesus said to him, turned to see and said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. I just think that's a wonderful picture of God's grace. And that's the same way that we receive it too. Maybe you're here and you've never followed Christ. You'd never call yourself a believer. I want to tell you very clearly that you're currently putting your confidence in your own righteousness. And it's not enough. But there is another way, and it's through Christ. Later on in uh, Acts 15, verse 10 says this. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples. He's talking about these laws and regulations. Placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples. That neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. No one can bear the yoke of the law. So my question is to you, what yoke are you placing on yourself? Or even worse, what yoke are you placing on others? As soon as we uh, go down the path of measuring ourselves and what we do, rather than who we are, it becomes exhausting. It's, it's burdensome. It's just not sustainable. And eventually we'll get burnt out and disillusioned, robbed of all our joy. This isn't the tune. This isn't the vista that we are to be dancing under. I believe actually there's people here that uh, you feel you are a slave to production and you're being robbed of your joy and you need to be starting to Live from a place of rest. Live from a place of Christ's achievement and not your own. 
we read in Matthew 11 that Jesus' yoke is light and his burden. Sorry, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Consider whether you are yoked to Christ. We're talking through this series about partnership with the Holy Spirit. That's not supposed to be burdensome for you. It's supposed to be light and easy. Now, uh, I do cautiously want to bring some more verses to give a bit of balance. But actually, I'm going to read something from Terry Virgo. He says this. The truth about, he's talking about grace. The truth is almost too good to be true. God's grace is so amazing that the Christian teachers are often too nervous to declare it fully. They fear that if believers really grasp how freely God loves them, they will live carelessly and take advantage of that grace. To prevent this happening, these teachers make sure that they add a number of provisions to the message of grace, an action which actually has the effect of obscuring its transforming power. Now, I am going to say some other verses, but I repeat again, I do not want the transforming power of grace to be subdued and restricted in your lives, in this church. That is the basis where we start. We work hard, but for a very different reason. Okay, so these verses in Matthew says this. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, a response to this verse. It's not out of being a slave to the law. It's about being a friend of Jesus. And our motivation is very different. Andrew Ryland used to say, it's not out of duty, it's out of beauty. And everything we do has to be, flow from that place. Another verse in 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And in his grace towards me, I'm sorry, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. That's his motivation. The grace of God within him. Like Paul, we do not want to work hard to win God's favor because we have God's favor. We have it. We're enjoying his grace and just partnering with him under that enjoyment. So for me, being disciplined to try and keep my Fridays, which is my day off, free so I can spend some good quality time with my wife, go for walks, go to the pub, 
This is a discipline which is good, agreed? But why do I do it? I do it out of extreme love for my wife. And it's still a discipline. I still have to be careful and cautious not to agree to meet people on Friday or do emails. It's still a discipline. But it's motivated very differently. My wife's looking at me. I'm feeling... I, I do mess up sometimes, okay? But most Fridays, I am okay on this. But you can check up on me. But you're understanding where I'm coming from. <clears throat> so, uh, serving. We serve not to get God's approval. But because the servant king has come down from heaven bowed the knee and served us. That's what we remember at Christmas. He bowed the knee and humbly come as a little babe to serve us. He came from his glory in heaven to serve us. This is why we serve, friends. We give away generously. Why do we do that? Not out of duty but because we've received the most abundant gift of all. The Lord Jesus Christ, the gift of God. Why do we love unconditionally? Oh, not out of duty, is it? It's because we were first loved by Jesus. Now, you may have heard lots of talks on grace, on God's love. But it's for you to have this revelation. My prayer is that all of you have this revelation of God's grace. That he so lavishly pours out upon each one of you. Two Thursdays ago, I went to a conference up... Well, up in Bedford, we start opened with um, some worship. And um, it was a normal worship time, familiar songs. But God came, apologies, came to me with a great revelation of his love. And um, you know, we, we know that God loves us. Sometimes we just need God's revelation to come. And he does that in a beautiful way. And I pray that you'd open your hearts up to the revelation of God's grace towards you and let it pass you by, friends. Now, what caught me about this revelation is God just reminded me of that morning when I dropped my son off to school, we were running a little bit late, and he was uh, in the front seat, and we were pulling up outside the school, and he was gathering his bags, <coughs> half opening the door before I'd even stopped, and we pulled up, and he leaps out, turns, hi, Dad. And I, I just say, wait, son, have a great day. I love you. 
So this morning when we, Thursday, while we were worshipping, the Father just said to me, you were so compelled to share with your love for your son before he rushed off and busied himself with the day. And it's exactly the same with you. Before you do anything, I'm compelled to tell you how much I love you. And I was just undone in that moment. It's only happened a couple of times in my life where God just ruined me. I was on the floor, just exposed to the love of God, the grace of God. I don't need to do anything. I don't even need to get out of bed. And this love is towards me, relentless. We sung it reckless. It's unabandoned, abundant love. If you get this, friends, it transforms everything. We're not part of a religion. I don't want to get up here and say, oh, you must pray more. You must read your Bible more. I'm doing such a disservice to the gospel if I say that to you. Receive the love of God. Be transformed by his grace working in you. If you receive that, it will change everything. It will change how you read the word. It will change how you, you discipline your life to make time, to spend time, to walk in the woods with him, to partner with him in everything. How have time? Okay. Um... Shall we sing together? Shall we have the band up? You stay where you are. Um, Probably, why don't we stand together? You can sit, you can do whatever you want, actually. God loves you. <laughs> why don't we just bow our heads and just spend just a moment... Lord Jesus, when you came, you died on the cross and you rose again, you broke the power of the law. And we now live under this new covenant. I pray that we would drink deeply of this new wine. Oh Lord, it tastes so better. It tastes so good. I pray we'd drink deeply of it. We'd never go back to a religion of doing, but we would rest entirely. We'd lean on the finished work of the cross, that you have said it's finished, that it is done. I'm hidden in you, robed in your robes of righteousness. Holy Spirit, just hover around this room now. Come. And press into people now and just reveal something of the Father's love, of your grace. 
upon their lives.